No, Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to Superman. Hello, and welcome back to Superman Forever Radio. This is episode 24. And as usual, I'm your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. And since it's Thursday, that means we do reviews of the Superman books following Infinite Crisis up to the present. And currently we find ourselves in June of 2007, in which one Superman book was published. I can't make this up. Superman Confidential Number 5 was the only Superman book in June of 2007. So to kind of balance that out, um, we're going to take a look at Action Comics number 849, which has a cover date of early July of 2007, before jumping into the other books from July 2007 next week. And before we do that, I do want to make sure I plug the SFR Daily Planet, which is the daily uh, sister podcast or additional podcast um, that in which I give you the latest Superman news as it's breaking. Uh, you can, of course, find this at supermanforever.com. And it is not on iTunes as of yet. It does have a separate feed from Superman Forever Radio, just so you're not inundated day-to-day with both of those. So I do want to point you to supermanforever.com or, of course, on my Facebook page, where you can find the SFR Daily Planet and get your Superman news fix. And as I mentioned, it is Thursday. That means it is a review episode. So we got quite a bit to do. I'm going to try some new things this week that we'll hopefully expand on and kind of flesh out the show. Next week, we do have three full issues. That's right. I said on last Sunday's episode that we have a fully stocked set of issues. And uh, what can I say? I, I was wrong. I apparently was looking at the wrong stack of books. So we have two issues to do this week. We're going to cover a little bit about Tim Sale. We're going to look at what was happening elsewhere in the DC Universe for this cover date. And then we're going to wrap it up because tomorrow, April 22nd, is my anniversary. So I need to get this done and spend some time with, with my, my wife. So let's go ahead and get the issue. The ep- issue. Let's go ahead and get the episode going. I'm going to play this promo and we'll come back with Superman Confidential number five. Presenting the amazing Spider Man Classics podcast, Year Two. Starring myself, John Wilson, along with Joshua Bertoni, Donovan Grant, and your favorite guest hosts of the comics podcasting community. Bringing you the classic 1960s adventures of Peter Parker, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, and the gang. As told by Stan Lee, John Romita, Don Heck, Jim Mooney, John Buscema, and more. And to kick the year off, we're running a special episode in March with... Uh, uh, hold on, wait a second... Hey there, webheads! 12 months ago, a very special podcast came onto your iTunes feed, and to celebrate 12 months of that podcast being on your iTunes feed, we thought we'd take you on a special date to the movies, and what a movie it is! Why, it's about our very own webhead spinner Spider-Man, the first installment of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, guest starring one of the Power Rangers. Oh boy, we're in for a good time! So strap yourself in, and here's the hosts! This isn't a way a podcast is supposed to work! Peter, you're seeing the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie without me? Why, no, Betty. I'm seeing it with all my friends, the Amazing Spider-Man Classics listeners, and you're invited, too. Even Liz Allen? Yes, Betty, even Liz Allen. Okay, as long as Ned can come. You know why I hate you, Leeds? Because you have a right to listen to this episode with Betty. The shadow of Spider-Man isn't standing between your earphones. 
Episode 28 kicks off the new year with an in-film commentary on the 2002 Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. And then we continue on in future episodes looking at the further adventures of Spider-Man, an amazing Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man, and every guest appearance and cameo we can find. Only at Amazing Spider-Man Classics, found on iTunes and at AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. And looking at the only Superman book published in, with a cover date of June 2007, Superman Confidential Number 5, which has a newsstand date of April 4th of 2007. A special thanks to Michael Bailey for teaching me how to use the time machine at Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. Credits are Darwin Cook and Tim Sale, Storytellers, Dave Stewart Colors, Richard Starkings Letters, Mark Chiarello, Editor, and Tom Palmer Jr., Associate Editor, Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And this is Kryptonite, Book 5. And once again, we open with a prologue, which continues the meteor creature and Gallows' trek to Metropolis to get closer to Superman, which the creature desires. The creature, watching Gallo and reaching out psychically, notes that even amongst humans, Gallo is inhumane. In the present, Luthor reviews the video of Superman, weakened by the kryptonite, with a security agent named Fieldstone. They both note that the green glow from the Utopia Casino seems to coincide with Superman's loss of powers. Elsewhere, in Clark Kent's apartment, Superman recovers from the severe beating he was handed last issue, as Clark serves he and Jimmy coffee, when Jimmy is called to the Daily Planet by Perry White. After Jimmy leaves, Superman puts Clark, one of several robots, back in a closet, his identity safe for the moment, and continues his recovery. While Lois is having dinner with Tony Gallo, and puts him right on the spot, is he a philanthropist giving millions to children's hospitals, or a stone-cold killer? Gallo says that he's both, and he has a fantastic story that Li Lois likely won't believe. Try me, Lois says. Superman flies back home for some perspective at the Kent farm and finds that Jonathan isn't there, but Martha is, and she calls him out on what Jonathan told us a few issues ago, which she apparently overheard. Basically, that he shouldn't, that Clark shouldn't lay worry on Ma's head. Martha tells Clark that, yes, she worries. He's, a, she's, he's her son, but she's proud of her son, and that outweighs the burden of the worry. As Fieldstone and her team zero in on the meteor in the top floors of the Utopia Casino, Clark tells both Martha and Jonathan that the fact that he seems capable of dying makes him feel more human. Jimmy Olsen, however, gets a call to meet Lois up at the, at the top of the Utopia, and Gallo has the three top, uh, top three floors vacated. Pardon me. Lex and company disguise a chopper as a Gallo-owned vehicle as Jimmy, hearing Gallo's story off-panel, agrees to help Lois and Tony. So Superman arrives at the casino, relieved to see Lois, which means it isn't a trap. That is when Tony Gallo lays a huge chunk of knowledge on Superman. Gallo isn't Gallo. He's the meteor creature inhabiting that form simply to meet Superman. And it seems the meteor left Krypton and came to Earth alongside Kal-El, which we saw in earlier issues, and adds that the meteor would likely kill Superman with enough exposure which we know, it's kryptonite. As Lex and company descend toward Utopia, the creature explains that he can show Superman his home world, but they must open the chamber holding the kryptonite and meet on the dimensional plane. 
Lois and Jimmy tell Superman that they will close the chamber door, blocking the rays of the kryptonite once the two are gone, and take care of Tony Gallo, who may or may not regain control over his body and be completely insane with it. So the chamber is open, and both Superman and the Gallo uh, creature leave that body, just as Luthor and his security team storm the office, demanding at gunpoint that the chamber doors stay open, thus exposing Superman's body to kryptonite radiation. Superman's mind, meanwhile, finds itself in space, alongside the creature looking down on a blue planet. To be continued. So it all comes together. Gallo, the meteor, Luther, all in one fell swoop. And we're left with a climax that is the crap hitting the fan all at once. But we won't see a resolution for a long time. More on that in a moment. My biggest complaint about Superman Confidential has been that it reads like it was written for trade, rather than issue form. This issue reverses that trend. The prologue places us right where we need to be to receive the story. The issue moves at a rapid-fire pace, and all the pieces fall right into place. Last issue's cliffhanger of Superman being greeted by Clark Kent at Kent's apartment is resolved with great dispatch and some charm in the form of the Clark robot. And the intensity of the Gallo meteor creature's confession to Lois instantly grabs you. Uh, there are pages where you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, but when that shoe drops, it's totally not the shoe that you thought. And Ma Kent has an absolute standout scene in which she totally calls Clark out to the mat, reminds us that, hey, she rules the roost. After all, she did raise a boy who could play catch with a sedan. Martha has got to be pretty hardcore. In fact, the entire Kent family forms an emotional impact here. It's it's really easy to play the Jonathan-Martha-Clark dynamic as trite and overdone. But when a book gets it right, it's just like hitting the perfect note in music. And that's what happens here. It's very appropriate here that Superman's first run-in with Kryptonite even if this story has been kind of retcon after Secret Origin, takes him to a viewing of Krypton. Since that was the case back when Kryptonite first appeared in the Dan River sequence, it actually, uh, finding Kryptonite and finding out his origin happened all at once. So it, great, it creates a really good callback. And the issue drives the story to the point of breathless anticipation, then leaves us there. Even though Superman Confidential number 6 shows as solicited in the back of the issue, and despite the fact that it shows the conclusion to Kryptonite is the content, we don't see number 6 until November 2007 cover date. And then it isn't the conclusion. So when we return to this story in Superman Confidential number 11, I'm not joking, number 11, remember where we left off. Now, Cook and Sale really pushed the limits in this issue. The cover, featuring the meteor creature rising from the rubble, lit from beneath by the eerie green glow of kryptonite, evokes a feeling of, of 50 sci-fi films. And the touch of using the lighting to make the creature appear to have Superman's spit curl is expert. Now, Gallo looked for more... He looked more menacing and less angled in, than in previous issues. Specifically in the bottom panel of page 3, which Gallo looks down uh, from a balcony cast in a deep chocolate color, Dave Stewart really outdoes himself in this issue, especially in the tones he uses in the extremely stylized prologue. 
his sepia backgrounds frame the coffee-colored landscape and create a classic feel. Unlike the previous issue, the art once again looks sharp and stylized rather than sloppy and gritty. And the character work is clear. The backgrounds occasionally steal the scenes. The layouts are straightforward in terms of panels. But the camera angles work expertly, making for a smooth and emotional read. The issue pulls everything together so well and puts the story right at a great climax. The only downfall for Superman Confidential number 5 is that it, was, it followed the weakest issue of the story and had to dig itself out. But the sentiments were right, the momentum was brisk, and that's what earned Superman Confidential number 5 a pull list rating. And a lot of that rating goes to Tim Sale, who kind of gets an MVP in this issue. And Superman Confidential isn't the first time we've seen Tim Sale tackle the Man of Steel. Uh, Sale, who was born in 1956 in Ithaca, New York, but spent most of his early life in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, began his career in 1983 doing art in Myth Adventures, which is a series of fantasy novels by Robert Lynn Asprin, until Sale met Matt Wagner back when Matt Wagner was writing and drawing for Kamiko, which led to work on Grendel and some Dark Horse projects like Billy 99, before he moved on to Death Blow for Wildstorm Image. A sale is known for working for former Superman writer Jeff Loeb on what fans call the color books, Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray, and Captain America White for Marvel. And these books showed the characters in the early days of their career, much like Loeb and Sale's DC works, such as Batman The Long Halloween and Batman Dark Victory. Now the artist, along with Jeff Loeb, would tackle Superman's early years in the 1998 miniseries Superman for All Seasons. And for all seasons, one rave critical reviews, and the miniseries remains a fan favorite for its look at the Man of Steel learning to fit into a world that doesn't understand him, and likewise. Sale's uh, stylized, unique style of art was used in the television series Heroes as the work of precognitive artist Isaac Mendez. And the show's first season also drew a lot of acclaim for not just the show, but also for Sale. And ironically, would be another partnership with Jeff Loeb, who served as a producer on the show. Now, Sale's Superman for All Seasons and his Superman with Cook and Kryptonite look very different. In For All Seasons, Clark had a lot of bulk. He was very large. He was more in line with the Ed McGinnis version of the character. But here, in this series, we find that he is a streamlined, sleek machine showing a range of design talent for Sale. His character work is top-notch, his layouts are standout, and my only wish is to have some more Tim Sale Superman art, and he is the main reason that Superman Confidential number 5 gets a rating of uh, pull list. Pardon me. And before we move on to Action Comics 849, I want to touch on one more thing, which will be a recurring thing, but it'll be a little odd this week, given that we only covered one book for June of 2007. And this week I'm adding a section to the show called Elsewhere in the DC Universe, in which we look at the other heroes in the DC Universe and what they were doing during, during this cover date. Now Batman's facing three cracked mirror images of himself after being beaten to a pulp by a Bane-like villain in a bat suit in Batman number 665. Inertia begins organizing the rogues to go after the Flash, Bart Allen, but Bart, meanwhile, gets arrested and reveals his secret identity to the police in Flash, the Fastest Man Alive, number 11. Hal Jordan and Carol Ferris take on Star Sapphire, yes, you heard that right, 
in Green Lantern number 19, and The Lightning Saga, a crossover between the Justice League, the Justice Society, and the Legion of Superheroes, begins when Legionnaires from the future are discovered in our time with Justice League of America number 8. And Kara Zor-El, our own Supergirl, faces revelations about herself and her mission on Earth in Supergirl number 16, while Freddie Freeman continues on his path to gain the powers of Shazam in The Trials of Shazam number 7. The Titans, teen and otherwise, take on Match, Deathstroke, and the Titans East in Teen Titans number 46, while Wonder Woman faces Cersei and an interrogation from Sarge Steel in Wonder Woman number 7, and also the resurrection of her mother, Queen Hippolyta, in Wonder Woman number 8. All leading to a throwdown in Amazon's Attack number 1, which hit this month in 2007. And 52 began coming to a close with issues 48 through 51, inching closer to countdown while all four issues of World War III, in which Black Adam lays the law down on the world, hit on the same day. And that was what was happening elsewhere in the DC Universe for your cover date June 2007. And we'll look at Superman number, pardon me, look at Action Comics number 849 right after this promo. The Superman Fan Podcast is turning over a new leaf for 2011. With the growth of Superman podcasts in 2010 covering the Golden Age of Superman, the Bronze Age Superman, the post-crisis Superman, as well as current Superman stories, I noticed that there was not a podcast which covered the Silver Age of Superman stories. And since I began reading comic books in the early to mid-1960s, right in the middle of the Silver Age, I decided it would be a perfect opportunity for me to cover the Silver Age of Superman stories. One week I will cover the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and eventually Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week I will cover the Man of Steel's titles of Superman and Action Comics, as well as the Supergirl stories. And I will alternate episodes in this fashion through 1970 when Mark Weisinger retired. The home website is at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com and expanded show notes are at supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com Your emails are welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to reading them. The Superman Fan Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network which you can find at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash Superman Podcast Network where you can find all of the podcasts covering every era of the Man of Steel. Episodes are also available on iTunes. So join me each week as we fly through the time barrier and journey through the Silver Age adventures of Superman. And now we're going to move on to Action Comics number 849 which is Redemption Part 2 in Good Faith. Cover dated early July 2007, with a hitting newsstand and it hit newsstands on the date of May 16th of 2007. And this is Redemption Part Two in Good Faith, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Alan Goldman, inked by Ron Randall, ed- lettered by Rob Lay, colored by Martha Martinez and Pete Pontes, Pantazis, pardon me, with Nachi Castro as associate editor, editor. Matt Idelson as editor, and Superman created by Jerry Siegel 
and Joe Schuster. And the issue takes up, picks up right where the last one left off, with Superman engaging redemption in battle in Nyasir. But Superman decides the two need some distance and flies redemption to the Australian outback as Matthew Hightower leads the First Church of Redemption in prayer, which seems to be working as his eyes begin to glow with the same blue as Redemption's power signature. In Nyasir, the military begins rounding up the villagers who align themselves with the church, which causes them to stop praying, and Redemption loses his powers temporarily. Redemption, powerless, begs Superman to help the villagers, which Superman does, but loses Redemption in the process. Back home and looking for answers, Superman contacts Oracle for more information, and in the meantime visits Barbara Johnson, the lady from Superman 659 that insisted Superman was an angel, and his parents who both give advice on faith. And Clark asks, asks Martha if it bothered her that he stopped going to services with her, and she says no. Armed with intel, Superman confronts Matthew Hightower, who runs out as who it turns out is a meta, who served as a chaplain for the U.S. Army, when his powers grew out of control, causing the deaths of 2,300 people. And it turns out that Hightower is re actually redemption, and Jared is simply a meta who has a gene that allows him to use the powers of others. So, more or less, Matthew Hightower is the battery. Instead of publishing the story or taking Hightower in, Clark takes it to the Dales, who in turn confront Hightower during the service in front of the congregation. And now revealed as the meta, and shown to be manipulating his flock, the congregation turn their backs on Hightower, who loses his powers without, his, uh, without their faith. Back home, Clark explains to Lois that the reason he stopped attending church was because his super senses had kicked in, and he feared knowing too much about the parishioners' lives, as it would lead him to lose faith in people. So he put his faith in the best of humanity instead. And Lois tells him that if she wasn't such a cynic, she would believe that. But instead, she'll have to put his her faith in him. And that ends cri Crisis of Faith. Wow, this was a powerful issue. Matters of faith are often taboo in mainstream comics beyond the peripheral. True, we've seen characters like Daredevil confront their inner turmoil, but even Frank Miller backed off of Batman Holy Terror. And But to put a physical face to faith and make that face the adversary of the piece, has the potential for a mess. Nicieza evades the pitfalls that the story could have fallen into, like a literary ninja. The tale could have been heavy-handed, overbearing, or condemned or condoned a religion. Or on the other end of the spectrum, it could have been an overly action-oriented tale, with nothing more than fists flying and buildings exploding. Instead, it's a thought-provoking piece. It has ample action, and it satisfies. Redemption quickly goes from a threat to a sympathetic character when the truth of his powers stand revealed. Superman's reasoning for not attending church makes sense. When your desire to help humanity is somewhat reliant on having faith in humanity, people's dirty laundry, that doesn't exactly help that along. And I like the return of Barbara Johnson from that recent Superman issue. It's a good callback to Superman 659, Without it being, once again, heavy-handed. I mean, and admittedly, that wasn't a recent issue that dealt with faith. But it didn't come into direct conflict with Superman. Different context. And Matthew Hightower. Wow, he just stands of one of, as one of the best villains in recent memory. He's at once disgusting, loathsome, and at the same time, sad and pathetic. 
In order to atone for his own sins, he manipulates an entire congregation and Jared Dale into doing his agenda, resulting in the deaths of quite a few soldiers in Nicaea. Matthew Hightower uses unjust actions to achieve what could be viewed as a just cause. In my opinion, that's what makes him more vile than vile. And the biggest standout story of the, of the story is that Superman dispatches this villain not with fists, but by the power of the press and by the power of the people. That signifies brain over brawn, something Luther has been challenging Superman with for decades. I really like that the resolution doesn't answer all of the ethical and faith-based questions the story raises. It doesn't need to. But at the same time, it does challenge the reader to answer those questions for themselves. However, as great as this story is, as much as I enjoyed it, what does it have to do with Last Son? I was really enjoying these issues. Uh, loving a standalone Superman story when I realized we're in the middle of a very high-profile, very hyped story arc. It's like Matt Idelson got the memo that Donner, Johns, and Kubert weren't coming through for the third month in a row and decided to distract us with shiny objects. I'm starting to feel like a freaking kitten with a ball of yarn here dangling in front of me. Now, does that detract from this story? No, but after enjoying a couple of great issues, one begins to be ready to finish the cliffhanger we were left with before moving on. And that gets put on the shoulders of editorial. Not Nicieza, and certainly not Alan Goldman or Ron Randall. Because the art, well, I mean, the layouts are once again smooth, and the character work is even better than uh, Action Comics number 848. Is the art distinctive? Is it groundbreaking? No, but it does tell the story, and nothing is better than when a good story and good art are in perfect sync. That is what comic books should be. And that's why Action Comics number 849 gets a pull list ranking. And it looks like that's going to wrap us up for the reviews this week. As I mentioned, it is a shorter show as uh, it is coming upon my anniversary, and I want to remove, uh, kind of stave off a little bit of time to spend with my wife. And I just want to give this uh, moment to shout out to my wife, Holly, who I married five years ago on the 22nd, which will be tomorrow, the day after this posts. I just want to say I love her. She's been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, not just in terms of letting me pursue this podcast, pursue the Superman collection and supporting that, but at the same time, just making me a better person. So that's as softy as I'm going to get. Just want to say thank you, Holly, for marrying me five years ago. And that's going to wrap up this episode. Remember to come back Sunday. We will have a pretty full episode. We're going to be looking at the Superman works of Alan Moore, which will include Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, as well as For the Man Who Has Everything. Both phenomenal pieces of work. And then we'll take a look at the animated version of Metallo making his appearance in Superman the Animated Series, The Way of All Flesh. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a production of SupermanForever.com. As always, you can find the show and leave a review on iTunes or visit supermanforever.com. And of course, the show is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, where you can find other great Superman podcasts covering all eras of the Man of Steel at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Drop the show an email at mail at supermanforever.com or follow the show on Twitter. The username is at superman, the number four, ever, Superman Forever. You, be, you can become a fan of the show on Facebook. Simply search for supermanforever.com and press the like button. 
Leave a voicemail at the call-in line, which is 703-95-SUPER. That's 703-957-8737. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, and related elements are trademarks of DC Comics, a Warner Brothers Entertainment Company. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and no profit is made from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and until next episode, keep on fighting the never-ending battle.